Hello and welcome to episode 228 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Join me as always is the president's League Freak. You can find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well, Andrew Ferguson. How are you? I'm I'm doing very well. I, I love these these uh, very formal introductions. I know. Sometimes you've got to be formal before you can get into the really good stuff. That's right. It's almost like we're um, meeting each other for the first time every time. <laughs> No, right? <laughs> Our memories are completely shit when it comes to knowing each other. Do you know, I was, I was actually thinking today, what percentage of time that we actually talk, It would you say we actually podcast? Because we talk a lot. I don't think people realise that we, we chinwag a lot. Yeah, and not so much about footy all the time either, I think. No. Um, we're just talking off air there how... Um, we we both got on online last night to record a podcast, and then we just sat there watching the Formula One the whole time instead. Then we went, ah, fuck it, too tired. Let's go to bed now. Yeah, <laughs> we we probably cost ourselves a record day. There you go. See, we've uh, that's how committed we are to you people. Sometimes we just don't give a toss. <laughs> but we're we giving it. We're giving to, a toss now. We we had good intentions because we got on and we're like, okay, what are we going to talk about? We'll talk about this. Talk about this. So, ooh, ooh, look at this. Okay, the race is starting. Oh wow. Oh, look at this. Oh, oh. And then it got to about what was, was it? Lap twenty. Yeah. We were gone. Yeah. Everything. Everything went tits up. Yeah. For everyone. But um, we're here now. Yes. And before we get underway, we need to do. One important bit of business, and that is mention the uh, the fine people at manscaped.com. That's true. Manscaped.com provides men, and I guess women too, let's not discriminate here, with the ability to use the finest shaving implements to make sure that their genitals are nice and, and smooth and just looking fantastic. And let's face it, we all want our genitals to look great. And so if you go to manscaped.com and put in our exclusive promo code, which is NRL, you'll get 20% off of everything, plus free shipping. And it really is, it's the number one place to go if you want your genitals to look really good, whether you want to display them to your partner or a loved one, somebody, you know, we, we try and we tend to say, don't display them to uh, anybody you don't know. Cause that's just not the go. But uh, anybody that wants to see your genitals, they will be really impressed by just the, the brilliant cut you get out of the lawnmower 3.0. So go to manscaped.com, put in our code NRL 20% off and free shipping. That code is NRL. That's from us to you. Yeah, and your genitals. There you go. Now, um, speaking of genitals, let's have a look at some Fox Sports news. Okay, let's do this. So, first bit of news today. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've got two big stories here, but the first big one is that the Dragons have decided to appoint a coach who has never actually played for the club before. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Um, I guess the last one was Wayne Bennett, and before him, I don't, I can't even tell you who it would have been because I think every other coach has either played for the St George Illawarra Dragons or St George, or probably Illawarra, or maybe yeah. both. Like yeah, it's... I'm going back. The last one I can remember is Brian Smith, and then after him it was David White. He was a Dragon. Um, 
Who was before Brian Smith? Steve Price. He was a dragon, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he played for the Dragons in 97. Oh, yes, Steve Price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, who was their last non-Dragons coach? They, um, might, they might never have had one going back to captain coaches, hey? Andrew Farrah, but he played for Illawarra in his last yeah. season in 1994. Okay, what about, um, did, uh, did Roy Masters coach them for a bit? Oh, we're going back now. Yeah. I think Roy Masters did coach in George. Yeah. I don't think... I'm trying to think. He might be the only one. He's the only one I can think of anyway. Uh, yeah, he, he. I think he would be. That's crazy. It's going back to the early 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well... That's, that's pretty nuts. Yeah, now they've got their third one. So hopefully Anthony Griffin goes well. And I saw somebody say on Twitter today, it's it's pretty funny that he's taken over the coaching role of a club that had a review done by Phil Gould. Yeah. Um, when we say review, we say review with air quotes. Yeah, because, yeah. 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 Phil I Gould just know. turned up and go, grabbed a check and left. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only, the only thing that would be worse is trying to uh, change an entire junior development system via email. Don't point it out. Don't 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 rule it out. It's it's going to happen, mate. It's going to happen. I know, right? So yeah, Anthony Griffin, head coach for the Dragons. You know what? Yep. Very good decision from the club. I agree. I agree. They could have made some really bad choices, and. I, there was a point there I thought they were going to put Dean Young into the role. I saw a lot of people saying that in the press conferences, they like how Dean Young talks, so he must be a good coach. And mm. I was like, oh, man, that's not a good sign. But, yeah, I think they've made the right choice. Now, one thing I want to raise, now that they've gone and hired someone who's not a former Dragon, mm-hmm. where does this put Flanagan? Because well, I he... think this changes the whole dynamic. Like, I reckon they would have been... Sitting there thinking, let's just get some interim coach to hang around until Flanagan's served his time and then we'll make him a coach. But Griffin is good enough to be the head coach for as long as he wants. Yeah. And if I'm Griffin, the first thing I do is tell tell the club, you get rid of Shane Flanagan as soon as humanly possible. Yeah. Flano should head over to England for a while. Yeah, he should. Like, I I just wouldn't want him involved in any part of the club at all that I was taken over because you don't want to have to clean up a mess. There we go. So that's that's that bit of news out of the way. Now, the next bit of news is the NRL has made interim CEO Andrew Abdo the new NRL CEO. Mm. And he's revealed his bold vision according to to Fox Sports, about what he sees for the future of the game. And as it says here, he's unveiled his three-phase plan for the future of the game. Oh, nice. That's different. Hang on. Let me just pull out the filing cabinet because I, I need to write this one down. And yeah, it's probably, folder. it's probably sitting on top of the desk. Yeah. Well, I need to put it next to Peter Beatty's one, John Grant's one. It's probably still sitting in the photocopier. 
Yeah, <laughs> he just he just found Peter Beatty's and I was like, man, if I cut cross, this into three parts, I just yeah. say it's got three phases. Just cross out Peter Beatty's name and then write his name above it. <laughs> That's mine. It says he he wants to reinvigorate tribalism. Oh, we've heard that before. That was a lot of shit. I'm I'm curious. How do you reinvigorate tribalism? Uh, I mean, a race war is usually a good way of starting a bit of trouble. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The British war is very good at it. Maybe we should ask them. <laughs> we, we could start with, um, yeah, some sort of New South Wales versus Queensland thing, perhaps. That'd be pretty cool. You know, what'd be also cool is if you had teams that represented, say, certain sections of Sydney, and you broke them down into like large, if not suburbs like, sort of greater areas. These are two great ideas already. I hope he's Mm. listening, because this Mm -hmm. could work. That'd be great. Um, He wants to win the battle for the NRL's traditional heartland in rural New South Wales and Queensland. Wow. You know what? I know these are new ideas, but they sound so familiar. I... Everyone knows I'm I'm a bit of a... uh, bit of a stickler for wanting more done for rural New South Wales and Queensland are rugby league wise. Mm -hmm. And largely because the region got completely almost cut off, I guess, but ignored during the super league war and no one bothered to pay any attention to it afterwards because all the money has been focused on keeping the game in the RL hands, I guess. And then, yeah, you know, consolidating it afterwards. Yeah. Um, I think it's been neglected and forgotten for too long. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these areas have had AFL not just creep in, but largely dominate the region, especially in the what used to be a really strong rugby league area in the, you know, the region where I'm from, which is in, along the New South Wales-Victorian border mm-hmm. on the New South Wales side there. Uh, so the Riverina, that sort of area. It's, the game is struggling there. Um, country areas are also struggling just population-wise. Yeah. but So I'd like to see something done there. I think what they may need to do is work on probably having more games, probably televised as well, where a representative team from each region plays in some sort of competition or a knockout comp or something like that. And it, it gets aired. So they get a bit of publicity, get some TV, get a bit of exposure that's going to be the best way to get it out there. And it's probably not going to cost the NRL much to do that. You know, you can get local commentators at games at the grounds and stuff to do that. And it would be fine. I yeah. think that'd be one, one idea I'd like to see in both areas. Um, and this is not going to be well liked. I know you probably won't like it. They've got to bring back a version of city versus country, but not New South Wales only make it Australia city versus Australia country a one-off game like that, and play it in the country. You know, if if they did it, it was all of Australia and it's city versus country, and they designated um, more than one city or two mm. cities. Like, if you're from Townsville, I'm sorry, you don't live in the country. You know? um, if you're from Wollongong, you're not the country. If you're from Canberra, you're not the country. They need to really designate what is the country. And I know that we've said before it should be maybe anything that's 100 kilometres inland, 
maybe you take the great dividing range and say everything the other side. Um, I don't know, but if it was all of Australia, it, it'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, the old, the, the New South Wales one and at that, it never did anything for me. And I'm a city person. I understand from from your point of view, from a country person, it means a lot more. But for me, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, city. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I know. And look, the thing that, that sort of really hurt it, I guess, is, and it's very similar to what Queensland went through with the interstate games prior to Origin, mm-hmm. is... You didn't care if you lost. You didn't care if you got flogged. Yeah. You just wanted to see your guys out there. And more often than not, you wanted to see them actually just physically bash the other team. Yeah. Didn't care about the result. And I think that's something that was completely lost. Because the game was always controlled by Sydney. Mm -hmm. I just went, oh, we beat you every year. What's the point of this? And going, you don't realize how much it means to the people in the country. Yeah. And back then, it was... Especially throughout the, um, you know, when the game, before it went to the origin the origin style thing in the uh, late 80s, city versus country was pretty much the best way for country talent to get seen in Sydney and have those players end up going into Sydney clubs. Yeah. And many of the game's greatest players have come from the country games. What if you had New South Wales country versus Queensland country? I'd be fine with that even. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, it, We've got to have something along those lines because at the moment, the entire region is neglected completely. And that was the fear I had all along when they when they when they scrapped it. Mm-hmm. They didn't realise that how much of an impact it was going to have in an area where they've let it slide and slip away, and that just made things worse. Yeah, there's no eyes on it anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, I I like the idea of having maybe, and, and I don't know how the the rugby league regions are cut up in in country New South Wales. But I like the idea of having, you know, large enough representative regions and then having some sort of knockout competition. That'd be pretty cool. Um, But, yeah, like, I I don't know the answer for country rugby league because I'm not from there. So it's cool to hear your your ideas on it and your opinions on what should happen. But I think a, a all of Australia city versus country that you know that does interest me a little bit. Yeah, I think so. One of the other big problems we had with it was when they went to the the origin style thing, which I think was about nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, it basically just became Newcastle and Illawarra versus Sydney. Yeah, yeah. And people who were in actual country areas were like, huh. Yeah, exactly. And like, I mean, we've talked about this before, but like when Matt Orford, I think it was Matt Orford, was getting selected and he was from Gosford. <laughs> and it's like, are you fucking serious well, now? Andrew Johns was playing for country. Yeah. Hey, come on. Lives in a city. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe they could do a test and say, right, have you had your arm up a cow? If no, <laughs> if the answer is no, then you're playing for city. What would be some of the other tests you'd have? Because I wouldn't even know. Like, um, have you ever put a star picket into the into a ground and, and made it stay in place? <laughs> okay, right. what else? Um, ever mules the lamb? Hey, uh, like, you know what? It'd be a good disqualifier. 
have you ever have you ever lived somewhere with uh with town sewerage and if somebody says uh yeah of course then they're out they're, they're out yeah to. um do people come and collect your bins <laughs> that's hang it on. hang on hang on hang on what do you do with your bins then we don't have bins we've got a we've got a trailer you take your rubbish from the trailer up to the tip and you throw it in the tip okay okay yeah can you burn it? I'd just burn it. The I? council comes out and burns it once or twice every year, but if, you know, you can burn it at your own property, I guess. That's, yeah, that's what I would do. Um, yeah, what else could there be? Hmm. Do you actually know what it feels like to go through a drought? And what I mean by that is I remember going through a drought in my teenage years and mm-hmm. we used to get excited when we saw the trucks bringing the water into town. Okay, yeah. So, okay. Do, this is a disqualified uh, question. Yeah. Um, during a drought, will a council come and fine you for watering your garden? It's like, oh, yeah, they will, yeah. You're from the city then. Exactly. Yeah, will they come and fine you for washing? Actually, do you wash your car? If the answer is yes, then you're from the city. <laughs> Oh shit, that's a good one. Can you see your neighbour if you you know while still staying inside your house? If the answer is yes, you live in the city. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. I think I think there's some good some good qualifiers there. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with those ones. We can work with that. Yeah. Um, Now, Mr. Abdo's also said that the idea of expansion is not off the table, but it is not an immediate priority. Well, that's the most committed, uncommitted commitment to nothing I've ever heard in my life. I think you probably would have been better off just going, eh. Yeah. That would have <laughs> that would have been much more accurate. When it comes to expansion, I don't know. Now, something else that he's big on, because he has been in charge of the, uh, the books for a while, mm-hmm. which raises another issue, which we'll get to in a sec. Mm-hmm. But he said here, we need to reset the rugby league economy. This is what he told NRL 360. Okay. Um, and he said that the game has copped a financial hit of around 25 to 30% of yearly revenue. Why? Um, so remember at the start of the year, yeah. cast your mind back. Mm-hmm. And these people were sitting there abusing the hell out of Todd Greenberg because the amount of money that the game was spending. I do, yeah, yeah. I while do. we explained pretty clearly that, that a lot of that was to do with um, the digital arm. Yes. And, and among other things, running the general, the whole sport across Australia. Yeah. But um, the game's, fi- you know, chief of finance, mm-hmm. he's in charge of the money. Yeah, it was him, wasn't it? He wasn't not, he the COO? Yes. He did not cop any criticism. No. But now all of a sudden... He's a beacon of light. Excellent. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, recent reports say the NRL was cutting $80 million a year in spending at the head office. Um, Abdo reveals it might be around $50 million just for a year or two, then they'll start sort of building it back up again as they need to, um, mm-hmm. depending on, you know, demands, I guess. Um so sorting out the, the finances was one aspect of his three-phase strategy, which was stabilising, renovating, and growing the game. 
part of stabilizing is taking stock, he said. Well, that's stock taking, isn't it? I love that he's just using buzzwords. He's yeah. not saying anything. Uh, we're reducing our costs. We're focusing on locking in our revenue. Um, I want to have a talk to your uh, your sidekick there, Mr. Vlandis. Didn't he just reduce the revenue by negotiating a TV rights deal that didn't need to be negotiated for less than already than what it was? Yeah, he negotiated the the broadcasting deal ahead of time, a couple of years ahead of time. He locked it in for a couple of extra years at a lower rate, and he did it during the biggest financial crisis in world history since the uh, 20s, 1920s. Or because the uh, Channel 9 decided to shit on the game. Yeah, well, they said that the game was poorly run financially, and and then uh, a couple of... A couple of weeks ago, Channel 9 revealed that they've lost, I think it was $450 million just this year uh, because they're really well run. Uh, He also said, we need to make some changes together with the players and the clubs and the state league to stabilise the game. I don't know what changes you can make to the state competition given it's... I I wouldn't imagine it's getting that much coin. No, like... Look, I call the game soon the New South Wales Cup. I'm a commentator. Yeah, Very among many other things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them are swear words. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I don't know what you would do to bring any more stability. It kind of is what it is. Maybe you, they could definitely plan things a little bit better. It's not very well run at a, a certain point, but... How do you, what do you do? Like, he's using buzzwords and they don't mean anything. Like, if he was saying, well, you know, we're going to take the New South Wales Cup and the Queensland Cup and we're going to do this, this and this, I'd say, well, that's interesting. But instead he's saying, we're going to stabilise it. We're going to make it better. We're going to make it financially viable. It's like, how? Yeah, I tell you what, what I'd like to see is a genuine reserve grade competition returned. And, you know, they can use the clubs that currently exist, but they just need to be much more strongly affiliated with their NRL club. Like, have them play on the, at the same ground on the same day, if possible. And, See, you know, I, that way fans are getting genuine value for money. They could probably charge an extra five or ten bucks a seat to generate more income as well, because fans are going to be getting extra games of footy to watch. I And I say this as somebody that has commentated the games. I do not turn up for the reserve grade games. That's fine, but some people will. But how many people, honestly? Doesn't matter. Look, seriously, if it's a hundred people and you charge an extra five bucks on a ticket, there's an extra five hundred bucks per game. Yeah, but isn't extra money a good thing? Well, <laughs> unless you're Peter Valendis. Um I, I, I don't know. I just think that the other thing is, I, I think they've got to be a little bit flexible at New South Wales Cup level, and I only use that as an example because I've seen it happen. Um, so I, I don't know. I I just think that I think the reserve grade system works all right for what it is. Um, you know, that you've got your different levels in Sydney. The clubs use it. They, they use it as a reserve grade. I think losing the under-20s competition was a really bad move for the NRL. And I said it at the time. I thought it was just a cynical cost-cutting move for, by the clubs. Um Unfortunately, my club was the one that was leading the charge. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know what you do to make it any better. I, I was pushing for the 
New South Wales and, and Queensland Cup premiers to play each other on grand final day years and years and years before it ever happened. See, this is why I called you present at the start of the episode. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've got an extra 100 people to come to a game mm-hmm. to watch the first game and you charge an extra $5 on the ticket, that comes to almost an extra 100 grand over the regular season. That's handy coin to have lying about, surely. Yeah, I just wonder how... I mean, I don't know how the... New South, look, look, I'm trying to find reasons for it to not work. It's worth a go. I, I just think that we've had that system in place before. I don't think it did too much for the game. I don't think it's such a bad thing to have the New South Wales Cup trying to be a bit of a standalone competition while having the links to the NRL. And I think especially as we move towards having the New South Wales and Queensland Cups bring in teams from overseas, um... I, I think that, you know, like I, I don't want to see a 16-team reserve-grade competition, put it that way. I want the New South Wales and Queensland Cups to be way more than 16 teams, you know, together. Oh, yeah, you've got to have it more than that. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, you should have teams that are planning to be um, expansion clubs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, that's a good team, a good spot for them to start bringing in you know, affiliations with local leagues and stuff like that and, and having players come through that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the likes of the Brisbane Bombers, um, you know, if Perth wanted to have a team, they could get players from a local league over there playing. It's all about, it's, it's not about going to be making those clubs financially viable. It's about making sure that they've got good systems in place for when they, they do make it to the NRL, if they yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, and helping them with management and stuff like that, I guess, so they're ready when they do make the step up. I wonder if we're at a point, uh, we've got to be there pretty soon, because we've got the Fijian team that I believe is in the Ron Massey Cup at the moment. I think that's the level they're at. If we And we've got the, the PNG Hunters in the Queensland Cup. I wonder if we get to a point where we rename both of those competitions. You might call it the, you know, the Wally Lewis Cup and the, Clive Churchill Cup for New South Wales. Um, and then we do bring in a team from Perth and then we make sure Melbourne has a team and maybe even Adelaide has a team and, you know, try and build it up from there. I think that would be a good idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what's he talking about renovating? We've got a wonderful house that we love, rugby league, and a hurricane has come through, which is COVID. Wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, the upside of this is to think about how we can come out to rebuild our house even stronger and take advantage of things we should have done earlier, what we can do so now. Um, thinking differently, reinvigorating tribalism, thinking about how we can get more people to stadiums, thinking about how we might be able to create an even more entertaining product. Well, I mean, we've discussed entertaining products before. Would we have bears? Yeah, bears, duck, duck, goose. Uh, I think we released a live tiger at one point yeah, as well. God. Who wouldn't want to watch that? Yeah, oh, I'd watch it in a second. Um, you know, I think that would be the absolute marker to find out just how fast a fox is if it's yeah, got a the, fucking tiger chase it down the yeah, sideline. Imagine how quick he'd run. I think we also <laughs> we also brought guns in at some point, like you yeah, could snipers on the roof. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like this idea of like we want to make it more entertaining. 
It's like, uh, I think that you want to fuck with the rules when you say that. Exactly right. Um, and the third stage is growth. And that can come from a number of areas, whether it's in the international game, clubs and the competition structure, the products and experiences for our fans. We've got to go through those different phases, but right now it's important to stabilise. So he doesn't actually want to grow. He wants to stabilise. Well, his point is, we're in a situation where right now we need to focus on stabilising, getting ourselves, um, I suppose, recovering from COVID, which I think is fair enough. And then it's all about thinking about how to make the game bigger and more entertaining and whatnot from that point onwards. Um, I'd hate it if they were to start tinkering with the rules even further. I'd like to see, I'd like to see the set restart scrapped and I'd like to see two rest back. Mm. I'm not, look, obviously I was opposed to it at the start and I'm going to be honest. Okay. It hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be, but I don't think it's had a hugely positive um, impact on the game. I just think it's, I don't know. I, I I don't see how it's made it more entertaining for me. No, I, I know the referees are missing more because there's... Well, the ruck know, has become a bit sloppier because of it. Oh. We're not seeing... There's no... Players aren't even bothering to try and play the ball correctly anymore. Yeah. Um, I also don't like the rush challenge thing. And I think the fact that it gets used so often and it's found that the referee was right in the first place yeah, actually proves just how stupid the ref challenge system is and how irrelevant it is. Mm-hmm. I don't, look, I don't mind the ref challenge system just because it, for the same reason, basically. Um, how many times we see a player just getting up and they're like, challenge it, challenge it, and they just flat out drop the ball. Um, and I like seeing that because I think it, it shows that, you know, the players are fallible. Um, it does. Think... The other thing is, okay, we've also had a lot of people saying, oh, the ref challenge, and I remember this this argument at the start. Mm. People saying the ref challenge will stop all of the hatred being piled on referees. And yeah, has it? No, not at all. No. Not no. All. People still abuse the referees. They still hate on They still claim that their games are fixed and the refs are dodging and cheating and all sort of other bullshit. Mm-hmm. So the ref challenge has done nothing to help the referees other than prove to the people who've got a a, you know, set of eyes that aren't painted on, mm-hmm. um, that they're right more often than they than fans generally realise. One hundred percent. And one of the things that this year has really that has stood out for me, how many times the video referee will be called upon to make a decision, and I'll be watching it and thinking to myself, I am so glad I don't have to pick one or the other. You know, you know, try or no try decision. Because some of the calls they're having to make are dead set 50-50. Yeah. And it's like, and you just know, either way, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Um, You know, and, and then when you couple that with the fact that most people, when they do watch rugby league, they watch it on TV and they're, that's their intake of rugby league for the week. And when all they hear from commentary is that the referees don't know what they're doing and they're complaining about the referees and even so much as like, why are we looking at this? Why? Just give it a try. Just give it a try. And, you know, the referees, are, they're on a hiding to nothing. They're, there's They cannot win, especially when 
on Monday, the head of the referees has a PowerPoint presentation and he not only points out where the referees are wrong, but he points out where it was a 50-50 call and he would have gone in a different direction. Of course he would have. No hindsight there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's got to end. It really does. I, I know they think they're being, um, you know, transparent and all this sort of stuff, but it's just undermining the referees and it's got to end. I hate it. Terribly. How many headlines have we seen this year already? And it's like Annesley says the referees are wrong. It's like every single week. And yeah. that's a terrible thing for the NRL to be putting out itself. Yeah, especially from the bloke who's in charge of the refs. And it, yeah. it serves no purpose if he says they're right or wrong because the decision's made. It's it's time to move on. Yeah, and I, I think that it, you know, there's this, there's this sentiment in, I think, sport, and I, I don't like it, and it is that you you deserve to get everything right. And it's like, that's not how life works. You have your ups and downs, and sometimes things go against you. And the the thing that makes you properly great is when you can rise above things that go against you. And when you're a sportsman, that it go it, that you know that can be, you know, the ball bounces funny. That can be the wind takes the ball on a high kick and, and it just goes away from you. That can be the referee decides that you're knocked on when you didn't. And if you can overcome all of that and still win, you are great. And I think that we need to, you know, instead of demanding the result we want, there needs to be a point where you watch the game and you enjoy what happens, win, lose, or draw. And I know that's how I look at it. You know, if I'm really enjoying this year because the Panthers are winning. But, man, I, I, I always think back to when we were terrible before 2003 and like we were properly terrible we didn't have talent and i i used to struggle watching them games but damn that watching those games when we were terrible is what makes now so good yeah i hope one day i'll get to uh understand what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome andrew seriously i'll take your word for it i'll take your word for it <laughs> I've got no idea what you're talking about here. <laughs> so the, all I hear is just, I'm sitting there going, I, I, I recognize the words. Yeah. But the structure you're putting them in, they're in a mystery to they're, me. They're in a weird order. Like the individual words yeah. make sense. None of this. Order yeah. They're in. yeah I, I just thought you, maybe you're on asset or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, about expansion, he says, expansion will only happen if there's a solid business case for it. The numbers have to stack up. If it has to add, it has to add value to the economy. We need to do that analysis in a post-COVID environment. We need to figure out if it's going to add value to the game. And if it does, then we need to have a plan to get there. It's not off the table, but equally, there are a few things we have to do first before we move to that phase. Rinse and repeat. Um, so... Um, he declared the, the need to get better connect with fans and communities, particularly with regional New South Wales and Queensland. Areas where he said the game's body was structurally challenged. We've got a lot to do and we can't overpromise and underdeliver. We've got to work methodically through everything. It's not just about spending more money in areas, it's about being cleverer. 
God, this guy just spits out the words, hey? Or being more innovative. (laughs) How about just saying being more innovative and smarter instead of saying cleverer? How about he tells us what he fucking means? Wow. I I don't know if he's actually had that much time to to figure out what he really wants to do. It's but if that's the case, then don't go on NRL three hundred and sixty until you have figured it out. Yeah, I saw during um, the week he said he's not a yes man. Mm-hmm. Like, that anybody that's not a yes man definitely needs to say that they're not a yes man. <laughs> uh, look, I hope that he. Um, he does stick with these three points and he gives us a bit more meat on those bones because there's the potential for some good positive things out of that, but it's also insanely vague. It's hard to figure out exactly what the plans are. Yeah, I look, I don't, uh, I don't value people that talk like that. In, in those sorts of vague terms, if you're going to do something, say what you're going to do, you know, and, and be upfront about it, there's no reason for him to go on NRL 360 and just use all of the fucking bullshit words that, you know, he's been using there. You know, if he wants to expand the competition, say, look, I want to put a team in Perth and I want to have them in Perth by the end of the decade. And the way that we do that is we have a couple more origin games there. Then we bring them into the new South Wales cup. We do that for four years and then they come into the NRL instead. It's like, well, we might expand, but we might not. And we got to say, and, gotta, and I hate that. I really hate that sort of talk. Now, let's go on to some talk that I hate. Okay. Um, it's basically anything Benny Lai says. <laughs> Um, What's Benny said? He's demanded that Josh Reynolds and Russell Packer should pack their bags. This is a genuine face turn attempt by Benny Elias. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, Benny, just shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what this is about, I, Russell Packer and, and Josh Reynolds apparently decided at halftime last weekend, that it was too cold to stay at the game, so they went home. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, um, old loudmouth uh, hood ornament's gone off his fucking trolley about it, and he's calling it disgraceful and all these other colourful words. Yeah. And so now they've wheeled out Benny Elias to come in and agree with Hooper. At the end of the day, pretty much every Tigers fan generally doesn't give a shit because these players are going to be out of the club soon anyway. So, yeah, yeah who cares? Yeah, that, well, that's what I thought when I heard about it. I was like, you know, if it was, say say it was Luke Brooks and, I don't know. Benji Marshall. Maybe not, not even, even him. Not um, even Benji. Like, I don't know, 12, Moses and Alex Twal, right? Alex Twal, yes. Yeah. If it was those two going at halftime, I'd say, wow, that's, that's not good. That's a pretty bad precedent. But when it's those two old fuckheads, it's like, yeah, see you later. Yeah, look, it's... I also saw today that um, Elijah Taylor has been told that he won't be required at the Tigers next year. And it's made me wonder why so many people are thinking that Michael Maguire needs to be replaced as coach. Look, he's either there to fix things or 
get yeah, somebody he's there who, to keep everyone happy and give everyone cuddles. Yeah, and look, I think that there might be an element there at the at the Tigers where yeah, and and we saw it with the dude that left for Parramatta, you know, where there's some there can be some environments that get set up where and it happened in Newcastle with all the boys needed a job, you know. Yeah. And when the boys didn't get a job, they'd turn on whoever the coach was. And eventually it just destroys a club because if you're trying to keep everyone happy rather than coach, you got a big problem. You're not winning games. Um, you know, Maguire is, if they think Maguire's the guy that's going to fix the club, just shut up and let him fix the club. And if they don't, they should do him the service of saying, Michael, Thank you for your time here, but we're going to go in a different direction right now because Michael Maguire will get picked up by a club immediately. Yeah, I think what should happen is Justin Potato should come out and just say, um, we have absolutely no reason to get rid of Michael Maguire and he is staying here and we are going to back him to the hilt from right now until the time that he decides he doesn't want to be here anymore because we need to make a lot of changes and we see him as the man to do that. And if players don't like that, they can find another club. That's what he needs to come out and say. Instead, we're doing the same thing that we did when we had Grant Myers as CEO, Mm -hmm. where the time that you need him to step up and make a statement, he sits back and he does fucking nothing. Yeah, and leaves it up to everyone else to front the media. Well, it just lets the media fucking run run wild with stories and allegations and rumours and doesn't do anything about it to, to put the fires out. It just lets it go. Yeah. That's that's so stupid. Like this is the you know, this is the time we, we actually need the CA to come out and, you know make a statement about this and say, No, this is who we're backing on. This is we we need him to do this job and he's doing exactly what we asked of him. Mm-hmm. Support the coach. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And look, it, it feels like Maguire is being undermined, and I don't know who's doing it, but you know, it's it's a pretty public way they're do, going about it. It'll be a few sooking players, and they'll be whinging to some you know Hooper in the media because Hooper's a West Tigers fan. God Christ! <laughs> and so they'll be sooking to him about it, and say so that's how that's how the media gets the the, the news, I guess. I, I just think it's like if I was Michael Maguire, I would go into Potato and I'd say, do you want me coaching this club in five years' time? And if he even hesitated, I'd say, you need see to ya. find a new coach. Yeah, see ya. Yeah. going to get it. Maguire, at the very worst, could be on the phone next week and be coaching in Wigan. You know, and I'm not saying Adrian Lamb's doing a bad, terrible job, but... Wigan would snap him up immediately. I think most Super League clubs would, um, and they'd turf their current coach. And that's the worst-case scenario for him. I think that he's the sort of coach that can wait for the right job. Um, You know, I think he's done a pretty good job already at the Tigers. He just needs to be allowed to continue doing it. Yeah. I I think the end of this year and coming in through next year, we're going to get to start to seeing him finally building a team more of what he wants because mm-hmm. he's going to have a few of these players that um, clearly brought to the club starting to have their contracts come to an end. Yeah. 
So we can't really judge him until he gets that opportunity. At the moment, he's playing with someone else's team, which a lot of coaches end up doing. Yeah. Um, but so much money's tied up in a handful of players who have never delivered on that money. Not even close, yeah. I like that. I mean, how many of them you just you literally cannot play? Like, I think as someone like uh, Chris McQueen, you just couldn't play. Yeah, McQueen's, I mean, he's gone already pretty much. Um, I think he's already got a deal for another club over in England somewhere. Uh, has he? I think so. He's been told he's not going to be at the club next year. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Elijah like that, Taylor, I mean, you've got Josh Reynolds, who's been not, you know, they've been trying to shop him out since last year. Russell Packer's the same. Ben Madalino's been forced into retirement through injury. So, you know, that was fortunate in their regard, but unfortunate for Ben, obviously, because he was probably the one of this mob that um, Clue brought in who was busting his backside. Mm-hmm. Um, Reynolds has too, but he's been hampered by injury, and it's just a signing we never needed. Never, ever. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, they've also got Chris Lawrence retiring, Benji Marshall's leaving the club, you know, so they are freeing up plenty of places in the squad mm-hmm. and cap cash, thankfully. And there are some talented juniors coming through. Just they need some X factor players in there. Yeah. Definitely they one in the halves. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, and Mbai is going to be the last one to go of, of this whole group of yeah. just wastes of money, you know. And, and Benji Marshall really is the only one there that I would say is not a waste of money. Um, but I understand that they needed to go in a different direction. And, you know, it, it, it's not a great player market this year, but, you know, they're not going to change it overnight. No. So it'd be a... Uh... A few steady changes to the squad for over this off-season, I'd imagine, and then next season is when they start to get a fair bit of this cap um, cash that's tied up in these overpaid players who shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll have that at their disposal, which could be could be close to $1.5, million, $2 million of cap space freed up, which they'll just be able to spend. They can just pledge it on two spine players if they need to. And, and that's what they should do. Yeah, so we'll see how they go. Mm. Unless they can get someone like a, a Burton from uh, from the Panthers. Like, if they could get him for next year, he'd be well worth it. Yeah. Um, there's a few. I mean, I wouldn't mind Wouldn't mind if they went after Tom Starling at Canberra either as a, um, as a hooker. He could come off the bench because I don't know if Little can will ever be an 80-minute player. It's yep. good that he's... It's good that he's been injury-free. He has been playing pretty well since coming back from injury. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it stays that way for a long time now because the poor bugger's been through too much for one player's career already. Yeah. And he does have like, shit loads of talent, that kid. So I'd like to see him get one or two full seasons under his belt before I'm confident that you know his body's strong enough to, to play week in, week out. But I don't think he's going to be an 80-minute player anytime soon. So we're going to need another hooker anyway. Yeah. And Starling looks to be a very good attacking hooker. I like the look of him, so I wouldn't mind seeing him come across. Yeah. Wouldn't cost a lot either. I, I feel as though with the Tigers, they need to get worse before they get better. Yeah, look, they're not far from being too much worse at the moment. I, I know, I know. But, like, I feel as though there's been some purchases for the club where 
and they've been really bad that it's kept them in that middle ground and, and that's why they keep getting ninth place uh and i feel as though they need to be willing to take a big step back get some younger players through buy some younger players from the club and build for five years from now you know and, and because I, they're not on the verge of winning the premiership and i think that's one of the problems that a lot of teams do have is that you know they'll be just outside the eight or maybe just inside the eight and they think well we we only need one or two players and it's like no you you need a complete rebuild at this point and that's what happens when you get a team like the Newcastle Knights under Bennett where you know they he basically builds a team to win now and then when all those players retire at the same time basically the team falls apart anyway yeah I do wonder, though, with, with Bennett's Newcastle thing, if that's what he was actually hired to do in the first place anyway. Well, I, like, I think that that situation personally was a weird one. I mean, you had somebody that come in with a lot of money and basically would have said, do what needs to be done. Um, yeah, I think that person with the money was demanding success immediately. Yeah. And that's why you get someone like Wayne Bennett in, because you just think, oh, that's, that's who you get. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think to... that that season was a massive aberration. I think that they they got on a winning roll at the right time. Oh, of course, you know, they they had three weeks that were really good, and it could have happened in friggin' April, but for them it just happened to be at the right time of the year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's. I mean, that's been some pretty good chat there. Yeah, I've actually got an email that we got through the uh, website, fergonthefreak.com. Oh, nice. We need to read that out. Yeah, if you go to fergonthefreak.com and go to the contact section, and you can email us through there. It's a really, really simple process. This one's from Ash. He says, uh, when did he send this one? Let me see. He sent this on August the 18th. I'm very sorry, Ash. It's good to see we're on top of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, hi, boys. It's been a while here, I know. But... <laughs> have a question about the current run of injuries. As a Storm supporter, I do follow them closely. And when you look at the typically discussed stats, they rarely appear in regards to individual players, i.e. forward run meters per game, which to me means they are a great team. Thoughts? Yeah, look, well, I think what everyone sort of said it before is the thing that makes Melbourne good is they don't have a complicated um, game plan. Yeah. And- Bellamy's been able to be really smart with having a few X-Factor players and letting them do as they see fit. And every other person in the role who's not an X-Factor player has a set set few jobs they have to do. And if they stick to those jobs, the X-Factor players will win on the games. And that's pretty much how he's worked things. Yeah, like Cameron Munster is a great example of that. Pappenhausen is starting to work on that, but mm. like Billy Slater was the ultimate at that. Um, Cameron Smith can, can do whatever Cameron Smith wants to do. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're, you're right with that for sure. Yeah. Uh, the injuries? I wouldn't yeah, be well, surprised if that comes down to the fact that the game has sped up with the, um, the set restarts, the less policing of the ruck. Mm-hmm. It's just meant that the game is moving faster which I guess is visually a lot more um, pleasing to, to many people. But it also means that you, that you now don't get as many stoppages, so players are getting worn out, which does increase the chance of injury. 
Well, he's got some, something to say about that. He said, uh, further to support this, when you look at the types of injuries at the moment, the high-intensity players appear to be the most affected. The Storm and Raiders do play a very intense brand of football and rely on key players. In combination with short season, with no breaks, do you think this is why we have seen a lot of season-ending injuries? I think it's a way to look at why Craig Bellamy and the Storm system is the benchmark club. It's possible. I think... I, I just think the, the the faster game, the the injuries are just a, an impact of, of that. And I think what we had is we brought in too many rules to speed the game up mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't phased in. So, you know, if we had a phase back to one referee for this season, everyone, that would have sped up the ruck a lot more because there's less eyes on it. So it's going to roll on. We've seen that already. Yeah. That would have been the first bit of the speeding up of the game. And then the year after, if that had brought in the set restarts then, a lot of the players would have been used to the increased pace that the set restarts wouldn't have been... Um, it wouldn't have made the game that much faster than what it has already. It would have made it a little bit quicker. Yeah. But it would have been something that the players probably would have had that extra year to get used to. It wouldn't have had as big an issue on their bodies. This is just my theory. Um but because you had both brought in at once, yeah, it's like taking a car and going from, from third gear into sixth gear and just missing all the other ones in the middle, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I think it's like something a Ferrari. Like, Monza. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, See, like, it's I, like when a Ferrari hits the wall in reverse. So you go from when it hits the wall and just go back. So it's, you know, zero to 100. <laughs> when its brakes fucking explode at the end of the straight. <laughs> yeah, it's just gone. Um, I... Uh, you know, the interesting thing is now we've played where by the end of this season, we'll have played 18 straight weeks of football, which, I mean, when was the last time that happened without the origin breaking it up and stuff like that? It's been a very long time. Um, Especially without buys. I mean, you'd probably have to go back to 1981. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, very, very, very different game back then. Um, I think maybe... You know, there's definitely a factor of everyone sat around for basically six weeks and then we're straight back into it. That's not good for injuries. And I I felt like that the game actually dodged a bullet during the the first probably six weeks of the competition that we didn't see more injuries come out of that. I think players were remarkably fit and, and, and healthy during that time. And I think it's a credit to the players. I know we talked about that at the time. Um, but it it is interesting to see what's happening as we don't have any breaks. And I, I personally think that it just comes down to rugby league's a really brutal sport and it takes a massive toll on a player's body just to, you know, play the sport. I was actually thinking last weekend watching, uh, I can't remember what game I was, I was thinking about this, but like for most people, if you just got physically fit, you know, if you spent a whole year just running and hitting the gym a little bit and stuff like that, and then you were hit in one NRL tackle, that would be one of the most painful things you've ever experienced in your life. And you would be sore for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the chances are in like a month or two from now, you'd still be saying, man, my, 
my knee's just not the same. It's still something wrong. Or my elbow, or my neck is funny. And these these dudes do it every single week. And sometimes they do it on a five-day turnaround. Sometimes they do it with a longer turnaround. And they back up, they back up, they back up. Some players, I think, just hit a genetic lottery. And they're just built where they, you know, they you can go rough and tumble and they don't really get injured that much. Whereas other players... It doesn't take much to get them injured, but they're still playing, you know, the most brutal contact sport on planet Earth. So um, I don't think we're seeing an injury crisis. I think this is just rugby league. And, you know, I wonder if we will see the sport go towards bringing in a rotation for especially forwards. I think the best teams have a really good forward rotation at the moment. Like I think of a team like, say, the Storm. They've always had a good forward rotation. The Panthers right now have, I think, the best forward rotation in the game. The Roosters have had it for the last couple of years. And I I don't think it's a coincidence that those teams are very good. Parramatta, you know, I always think with uh, Kane Evans, who comes off the bench for Parramatta. I always feel like he's the canary in the coal mine in, for the Eels in terms of like when he's playing well and he's coming off the bench, when he's playing well, the Parramatta Eels are going well and he's not playing well at the moment, unfortunately. So um, I just think it's rugby league and it's just, you know, you, we've got to get used to it. That's fair enough. I, I, you know, the one thing that surprised me that you raised it is how Super League teams, uh, they rotate players very regularly. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that the NRL doesn't NRL clubs don't do a similar thing, especially when they've got a 30 man squad. Why not rotate a few players every week? It's just weird that they don't do that. Uh, you, you know, you'd have to be. And, and Robinson talked about doing it last year. Um, you've got to be in such a strong position. Like, how many teams this year could honestly say that they've been in a position to rotate players? Like, I think. Right now, the Panthers could if they wanted to. I think the Storm probably could if they wanted to. The Roosters couldn't just because they've had so many injuries in their forward pack. Could the Eels? You know, maybe. Well, I think, I mean, the good thing about rotation, obviously it means you get a few younger players into the game and they Mm -hmm. play a little bit more than just one or two games. When injury comes in, they get to have a, a proper run. Yeah. Um. You don't, and that's the thing. You don't have to rotate like six or seven players every week. Just one or two, change yeah. up every now. One on the bench, one on the starting side, and it's only going to be little changes here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it just helped to make sure that players don't get overworked. I guess, especially when they've got a short turnaround, bring in a few a few players then, look after your stars a little bit, so that they're all fit and ready to go when the finals come. See, this is why I think we should have a 20-round competition. Like, 22 is fine. I'd go 22, but I think in an ideal world, we have a 20-round competition, and in the middle of the year, we have our rep football. Um, you know, and how you structure that, you try and get some some breaks in for the elite players there. But I, I, I think that with modern-day rugby league, especially the NRL itself, I think 20 rounds is plenty for the wear and tear that it takes on a player. You know, the interesting thing I've seen this year is we've seen a few Achilles injuries. And my understanding is 
when you do your Achilles, it is a, a it's a repetitive stress related injury. Um, and it's terrible when you see it happen because it's like so obvious that it's an Achilles injury when it happens. But it, we don't normally see Achilles injuries in in the NRL. No, that's right. Uh, so it's, I think it's that's the thing that makes this injury talk come up is that there's a lot of injuries that are very similar coming up all the time. So people mm-hmm. are going to say must be something consistent across the entire game. Yeah, maybe it's just you know. Remember a few years back we just had a a run of players getting pec injuries. Yeah, it just, sometimes, ha- it just happens in cycles. I think. It, just happens, yeah, and that's why when we talk to NRL uh, physio, and we should talk to him again soon. He's probably ready to come back on again. Um, it, it it's interesting because you know he looks at the data. He he's not guessing, and even you and me right now are just guessing, right? Yeah. And the media just fucking runs rampant with their guessing. But it's interesting when you talk to somebody that has the data, and they're like. No, there there is no increase whatsoever in these sorts of injuries, and and so that's why we we got him on to talk about those sorts of things. Exactly. Yeah, we talk to the big wits. Yeah, we do. We do. There you go. So that, was that was that the end of that email, or was there a bit more? No, no, that's uh, that was his email, and oh, yeah, we don't we don't have any new emails. I don't think anyway. Have we caught was... up on all of our admin? I think we have. Yeah. Let me have a look. I'll just, I'll just make sure. Come on, load up email. I'm looking. I'm going into my email now. Uh, See, people should know. Freaky's got one of those laptops that came out in 2000. It's got you know, 560 mega RAM <laughs> and a hard drive that holds about what two gigabytes. So it, it can be a little slow sometimes. We've got a couple here. Oh, we do have a couple from Lambretta. So let's oh, yes. yeah, why so, not? Let's keep it Okay, he says, uh, having seen a lot of ref cha- refs' challenges this year, I have really grown to like them. He goes, number one, the challenges are more often than not wrong, which proves that the referees are doing a great job. Two, occasionally, things happen in the blink of an eye and the referees do have to go on gut instinct. This gives the person, the player, closest to the incident, an opportunity to correct something that isn't right. These are rare, but they do happen. Three, most importantly, it gives the referees a great way of shutting up whinges by simply asking, are you going to challenge the call? If not, go away. Uh, He says, I agree with Andrew that challenging referees is not something we want to see, but we live in a world where the media has driven distrust in the referees. The challenge gives the referees the opportunity to show that they do a great job. I I agree with all those sentiments. The problem is it hasn't stopped the media from bitching about referees. True. And I think it hasn't stopped. I mean, I, I know on my Twitter feed this weekend, people going crazy about the refs. Absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah, so it, that's the thing, is it? Yeah. You know, the one key thing I was told about that, you know, the refs challenge was going to do is going to put an end to that, and it just hasn't. It's yeah. made no difference. No. So, and um, he sent another one. Mm. He said, "Hi guys, hello again. <laughs> I am absolutely loving the 1996 season episode. I emigrated to Australia 
in October 1995. So 1996 was the first season I had the potential to see. Only I didn't. Coming from London, coming from the London area, I was in love with football and spent 1996 watching the NSL. That's the National Soccer League. Yeah. That was what was in place before the A-League. Um, the only game I remember watching part of was the 1996 Grand Final, but I didn't watch much. In a way, listening to what a mess it was, maybe that was a good thing. But I managed to fall in love with the game in 1997, so maybe nothing could have stopped me. He says, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the 1997 season and the um, amazing World Club Challenge, which I watched a lot of. As a palm, I remember being disappointed by how the English teams kept getting belted. (laughs) And he says, always second half capitulations. I have a memory of a tri-series game in Super League where Matt Rogers scored every point for Queensland. Keep up the great work. Your podcast is so enjoyable. Cheers, Lambretta. Yeah, the uh, ninety-seven episode is coming up soon. Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to book that one in, hey. Yeah, I'll have to take a day off work. Yeah, <laughs> pack in a whole day's worth of salary. That'll be fine. Yeah, that's going to be a, a big gig that one because yeah, that that World Club Challenge. I don't know if we do a separate episode on that or not, but it was it was one of those things where it came out and it sounded you know on paper to the mm. casual fan. Absolutely fucking great idea. But when you just thought about it a little bit and going, hang on, we're putting some of Australia's best players against these English clubs that have been going backwards for a few years now. Mm-hmm. This may not go well. And then after the first round of results where every scoreline was like 40 or 50 or 60, sometimes 70-odd by the Australian team against the British team, you're like, uh, there's like seven more weeks of this. Yeah, and it come at a time where, you know, that the Australian rugby league season was just carrying on, and it was giving it was giving people what they wanted to see, which was just let's play some football. And the Super League season was like, well, we're going to have a short season with a couple of new teams that have just been made up out of nothing. And then we're going to play this World Club Challenge, and it's going to be fucking great. You should watch it. And it was a it was a unmitigated disaster for them yeah um let's just let's just talk through one of the stupidest situations in there mm-hmm. okay is that in the final round of of games there before the final started mm-hmm. penrith were in a situation where they needed to beat st helens by 46 points or more so as to qualify for the the finals mm-hmm and they only won by six points, which meant they finished fourth in their group and were undefeated. So they won all six games. They had a points differential you know, in six games of 136. So for those playing at home, that's an average margin of almost 23 points a game. Mm-hmm. And they didn't make the finals. You know yeah. who did make the finals? Yeah. Paris Saint-Germain had one win and three losses. Bradford made the finals despite not winning a game at all. Yeah. And that's the problem they had, is that when they got to the finals, they're looking at all the tables, and they went, hang on, it's all Australian teams in here that are the best teams. How do we keep the British public interested in it 
we'll just tweak it a little bit so that all their, you know, they get a handful of teams in there and they just got smashed in the finals anyway and none of them made it to the grand final. It was Hunter versus Brisbane and Brisbane walked at home. Yeah, and, and it was like, I mean, it was the it was a non-event. That competition was a non-event and, I mean, people are just... I, I felt the Super League grand final was a bit of a nothing event, quite honestly, and... But the World Club Challenge was just, who cared? Yeah. You know. As is for Canberra had the best attack. Mm-hmm. They, they averaged 50 points per game over their six games. <laughs> and they finished second last in their group with five wins and a loss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, maybe because the thing about the 1997 season, when we do that that review of it, it's like two footy seasons in one. Mm-hmm. Like well, we, we, kind of we, two and a half with the World Club Challenge and the Tri-Series thrown in. Yeah, and the Tri-Series, that was another thing. It was like, okay, this is different. Looks good and, on paper. Yeah, but then when you watched it, it was they had that, that now it's the second longest game in, in the game's history. But <laughs> um, it, it was like it was missing. The, the thing, the ARL still had all the magic stuff basically yeah. and well, they had all the, they had had all the history final. on their side yeah they really did and when they had that grand final and it like the rivalry between manly and newcastle you know it, it had been built up over a number of years it had been built up funnily enough in the um city versus country matches with paul harrigan and mark harrell belting the shit out of each other in those games Despite both playing for teams that were about what sixty k's apart, yeah, one was country one was city. Exactly. <laughs> it's easier for Mark Carroll to drive to Newcastle than it would have been for him to drive to Penrith, and uh, or to the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just the country. <laughs> Freaking ages away from the country. Um, so Paul Harrigan for that matter. But That's true. But yeah, it. It just all culminated in the ARL getting the wins in those areas in the Super League season. Like, how many people ever talk about that great Super League grand final in 1997? No one cares. Played in the rain, that's all I remember. Now, interesting fact about the 1997 season. Mm-hmm. Balmain finished eighth. <laughs> and they was it a, a top seven series? They had a top seven. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Do you know who finished ninth that year? Uh, West, uh, West. Yeah, it was West. Yes. Oh, that's, so <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's great. <laughs> the only time in the entire, what was it? 19, was it 1996 period onwards mm-hmm. where they didn't have a top eight and Bowman finished eighth. Yeah, that's brilliant. Which side? Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Which side of the joint venture is cursed? Um, well, you've got to say the, the, the Magpie side, given that they'd only won four titles prior to the merger, and they struggled through the last five years of, the, um, of their existence. Not saying that Balmain didn't struggle either, but Balmain were never a team that was ever regarded as a whipping boy. They had four wooden spoons, in the history. Okay. Now here's an interesting thing. This comes back to what you consider to be cursed. Well, I suppose that's a good question. 
mm-hmm. cursed. Um, like, because plagued, from my plagued, point, plagued by failure. Well, okay, so the, this is interesting. From my point of view, being terrible is not so much the curse. The curse would be that the the worst thing you can give to a fan is hope, and then crush them hopes and dreams. Do you see where I'm going with this? I can see where you're going with it. Mm-hmm. Bama didn't have that much hope. Only, only in the '89 Grand Final, if we're honest, and that got crushed then and there. Mm-hmm. And then Alan Jones became coach. And if you thought that hope got crushed in the '89 Grand Final, man, he got crushed when he became coach. I think you just answered the question. Alan Jones coached one of these clubs. That's a curse. That was a cancer, is what it was. <laughs> oh shit! What if we? You know what we should do on the podcast? Uh-oh. We should. We should. Yeah. <laughs> should get the lawyers on. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not going there. Oh, good, good. <laughs> what we should do is exercise the West Tigers curse. Hmm. How would we do that? You can't. You can't. What would you be willing to do to to make the eight next year? See, I, I don't know. I want to make the eight. Because <laughs> it, it continues the, the well, failure cycle. Let's be honest. It ruins the fun. <laughs> the Tigers make the finals. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I've got to start talking them up and, and being positive about them. You know, going, oh, yeah, we have a chance here. We, we can do this. Thing. And going, it's just easy to go, yeah, I, I don't know. And you can just laugh at them along the way and and not be taken seriously. Do you hope they finish ninth? For shits and giggles, absolutely. See, I, I think the worst thing that... Anyone who supports a team other than Melbourne mm-hmm. has is, yeah, having hope. Yeah. As we went through that briefly in uh, 2010 and 2011, mm-hmm. and it looked like it was building up to something really good. And then 2012 was the most miserable year I can think of as a West Tigers <laughs> fan until Jason Taylor become coach. <laughs> oh, shit. Mm. Yes, I I don't think I've ever experienced that sort of thing as a Panthers fan, where it's like, uh, you know that. Well, Matthew Elliott was different. He was like an oppressive dark cloud of hate and nothingness that just shrouded life during his time as a coach. So that was a bit different. That was worse than just a black dog. Yeah, yeah, it was like. It was like drowning in molasses. <laughs> oh well, I tell you, we're getting we're getting very close to having a purge of your own there. Yeah, we might just uh, move on before things get too dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I start going fucking deep into my soul. Yeah, and then crush you. <laughs> we don't do that. Not yet, anyway. No, no. I like to the... I like to keep my soul crushing things to for like you know females are good at that. We, we don't want to uh, we don't want to crush 
crush in now and ruin all of our future content. Yeah, that would suck. Yeah, let's save it up for when we've got a rainy day and we've we've run out of stuff to talk about. Imagine, <laughs> imagine we did like we we've done like a thousand and seventy episodes or something, right? Yeah, so next week. Yeah, yeah, sometime next week, and we're like, what are we talking about? Oh, let's just fucking talk about Matthew Elliott. And I just get so upset where we where it's just to a point where you and I have a falling out. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, we've never, well, like, it, for anybody listening, we've never, like, you've heard, people have heard our disagreements, hey? Yeah. Like, it, they're so minor, it's really funny. But, uh, but yeah. Is, neither of us are that passionate about our views anyway. Yeah, we're just like, oh, yeah, I see your point of view, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I see your point of view. I mean, you're wrong, but I see your point of view. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much us. But, yeah, we've, because we've, uh, that the biggest one was that uh, I f- you felt as though there, there's no reason to kick at a football when a player is in a certain position, and I feel as though kick away, son. And that's our biggest disagreement. Actually, we can try one here. Yeah. Do you think that Chad Townsend should be suspended for his hit on Kalen Ponga? Um, well, we talked about this last night a little bit. Now, I said, I said that... There are elements to the tackle which I think were were not... I think that there were a bunch of different elements that added up to just it being so stupid that, like, just go off the field, you idiot, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, should he be suspended? He didn't make contact with his head. That's what Ponga said straight after the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a week or two for... Um, a reckless tackle. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him two weeks for the utter stupidity mm. of leading with the shoulder charge, which he knows is an illegal tackle. Yeah, and also doing it when the, he can hear the referee calling play off. Yeah, now that's utter stupidity. It's one week for each of those dumb ideas that he had in his head. I then give him one week for the hit. Because let's be honest, it's Chad Townsend being hit by Chad Townsend. Yeah, it's like being hit by a leaf blower, really, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and the only way he can hit someone and, and make them stay down is when that player's not paying attention and they're yeah. not really running hard, and they and they weigh eighty kilos. Um, so I give him a week for that, and then I'm going to give him seventeen weeks for his fucking haircut. <laughs> oh shit. How so, many weeks did the judiciary put him up for? I, I'm hearing three. See, so I, I feel like that's me. I feel as though two probably. And I, I'm the same with you. It's like, it's two weeks for the utter stupidity of it. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It's just like, say, say he had, say he had hit Ponga with a, just a, a proper like Trevor Gilmeister tackle. It probably would have been a penalty for a late hit or whatever, but it, it wouldn't have gone to the judiciary or anything like that. But the, I, the, the thought that he was like shoulder charging and fucking flying through the air and stuff. It's like, yeah, give him two weeks just to think about how silly it was. Well, I've, I've got my system for determining um, how many weeks this place should get suspended. Yeah. And so the first one is 
um, how many weeks the actual incident deserves just on yeah. its own, not taking yeah. into account any stupidity, uh-huh. just the actual incident itself. And I think for the incident itself, he deserves one week. Yeah. And then you look at the stupidity ranking. <laughs> and if it's really stupid, you you add on double the base. So because okay. he's got one week for the base, all right, yeah. you double that's another two weeks. You put that on top, so he gets three weeks for that. So he's getting getting pinged two weeks for being an absolutely stupid fucking idiot and one yep. week for the actual hit. I like this idea, actually. This is How a can really it go good wrong? system. Yeah, I like and, I really, really like this. And you need to have the, the judge on the judiciary yeah. say that. Yeah. Like, say to Chad, look, we're going to give you one week for the for the shoulder charge. It wasn't that bad a, a hit. It didn't do any damage. Um, you're, you're a bit of a P-hard sort of p sort of defender, so you know it's not going. You're not going to do much impact. But we're going to give you an extra two weeks to that for being fucking stupid. Bang the gavel and move on. Next. Do you reckon they use a gavel? They they have to. Oh, that's so, awesome. That should be the first thing Andrew Abdo should bring in as, as CEO. A right. gavel. Judge needs a gavel. I think he should have a gavel. Yeah. He just sits That's at like, his when desk. He, when well, no, I was going to say, whenever he does a press conference, yeah. <laughs> they start all asking questions. He's just uh, banging the gavel. Yeah. So everyone shuts up. At the end of it, he just, and he, like, he brings it up higher than he needs to over his head and just goes, bang. Yeah. That's it. He gets up, walks away, doesn't answer another question. Actually, what he should do is just come in, answer the first question, bang the gavel, and just leave it there and walk off. Like, that's it. I'm only answering, I'm just going to be one question, one answer, one answer abdo. That's me. <laughs> one answer abdo. I am looking up. Okay, so, okay. 34 bucks, I could buy a gavel, a, ju- a court judge's gavel on uh, eBay. And how much is it for the wig? Let me look up judges' wig. Judges' wig. Uh, all these people out there spending years and years at law school, <laughs> spent all that money and all they could have done is gone to eBay, bought a gavel, and bought a wig. Damn, job done. This is great. This is going. Um, <laughs> okay, There's, it's funny. I've put in. I've put in judges' wig. The first thing that come up was Colonel George Washington. Captain Cook Mozart fancy wig. It's all the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Although I'd want a proper judge's one. So the judge's one is forty nine bucks. That seems like a lot. Well, uh, you know, it, you are practicing law. Yeah, that's true. I didn't want to spend like seventy bucks though to become an official judge. Well, you know, it, it's important. Okay, hang on, hang on. I just had an idea. Um, because. That's right, people. You just heard Freaky have an idea. Yeah. Okay. So, nah, there's no costume. I, what I was going to do, I could have mm. bought a judge's outfit, right? And I'm thinking, imagine having a judge's outfit, then a jury outfit, and then a fucking executioner outfit. It's really all just a way for me to buy an executioner's outfit. But <laughs> I thought that would have been cool. What? Let's have a look at Executioner outfit. Yeah, you can buy an executioner's outfit just by going to Bunnings and buying like six meters of rope. No, they used to have. Have you ever seen an executioner's outfit? No, I've I've always been law abiding. <laughs> the one I used to own. Um, 
It's like a. It's but let me describe it to you. It's like a black outfit, right, with the hood. Um, oh, it's, it's like it's like death from those AIDS ads in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, it's very much like the the death AIDS outfit, except without the because uh, that he represented death and AIDS. Yeah. Whereas, like, and you know, now they they separate it. Whereas, <laughs> death is death, and then AIDS is Charlie Shane. But um, you knew that was coming. But, I was waiting for it the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's a it's a very specific costume. Okay, this is what this is what uh, sciencemuseumgroup.org.uk says. What did executioners wear? An executioner is said to have worn the mask before delivering it, with this mask the. Before delivering the final blow with either an axe or a sword, it cuts a gruesome figure. It is deliberately macabre and menacing to further terrify the prisoner. Executioners often wore masks to hide their identity and avoid any retribution. Although I I have heard on history podcasts where executioners, they also had some like weird jobs. So they would be the sorts of people that would... Um, like pick up bodies and, and things like that. So they kind of did all the jobs that people didn't like. But that's at different points in history, you know. All right. I'm, I'm curious why they wore a mask, because, I mean, essentially, the person they're killing is not going to remember them after they've done their job properly, are they? Well, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, I have a feeling it was it was almost about dehumanising the executioner. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I still believed in religion back then, and... Uh, yeah, probably thought they were going to get judged if someone could see their face. Blah, 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 blah. We have gone a little off track, haven't we? Yeah. Manscaped, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're talking about cutting things. Yeah. yeah. Go to Manscaped. Execute those hairs on your nuts. Exactly. What you want to do is you want to be the executioner of your pubes and you want to go to manscaped.com, go and get the perfect package, you get everything in it, Absolutely everything. You get the boxes, you get the lawnmower 3.0, you get the ball toner, you get the ball deodorant, you get uh, the mat that you put down and it captures all of your bush when you've cut it all off. Uh, what else do you get in there? I feel like I'm missing something. Was there a T-shirt as well? Uh, I can't remember. I believe you and me just got the T-shirt because... Uh, we're important. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, go there, check it out, get 20% off and free shipping by putting in our exclusive code, which is NRL. And the good thing about Manscaped.com is they've got a 30-day money-back guarantee because they know once you use the Lawnmower 3.0, you're just going to be so impressed with the results and what happens because of the results. You're just going to love it. So much so, you'll probably go to like advanced hair so you can make your hair grow faster so you can shave it off again. Yeah, just because it's fun. Yeah. You got that little light on there as well. Yeah, yeah, it's got can, a light. You can attach it to your car keys. So when you get home, put the little light on so you can see where the the keyhole is on your door. So you can come inside and just shave your nuts in the dark. And you it's know, waterproof. You can shave your nuts in the dark in the shower. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's it's very uh very well put together. It's a fantastic product. And you know, because it's got the light what you can do is, like, if, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes it's 3.30, you lie in your bed next to your significant other, you're like, man, I might just shave my balls right here. You just kick the covers off, 
boom, start shaving your balls right there, right next to them. They won't mind. No, right. it's so quiet, they wouldn't hear it anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's like just you just go for it, and you surprise them when they do wake up. They're like, what's going on? And you're like, sweetheart, I'm shaving my balls for you. <laughs> She's going to be like, oh, thank you. That's wonderful. Let me kiss them. <laughs> That's how it works, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, why not? So, uh, yeah, get over there to manscaped.com and get onto their gear. Use our code for you, NRL. We'll save you cash and we'll get you free postage. Yeah. We look after you. We do. Hey, where where could people go if they wanted to help work on the digitization of rugby league history? Let me just check my notes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Go to patreon.com slash rlproject. Mm-hmm. And if you're bored... And you want to go and check us out, but you you want to do something else before you just go to patreon.com slash RLP. That's just something um, not suitable for work. Yeah. But uh, yeah, RL Project. That's that's the one I've got there. Check mm-hmm. that out. You can make a monthly donation of whatever the hell you like to help me out uh, running the Rugby Project website. Uh, there's a huge amount of work going on there at the moment. You may not see it all on the website because it's all at the back end, but very soon it'll all get populated with a lot more data and stuff and you'll be like man how does this thing keep getting more and more data on there but it just will i'll be doing it until the day i die yeah so six months from now (laughs) well i've already been teaching my uh, five-year-old daughter how to do maths very well she's now taking a very keen interest in rugby league so i've already got the next generation sorted you're getting ready to uh hand the keys over to her when she takes an interest enough in it that she can do all of the the calculations and stuff and all the, exactly. the, the stuff. I've heard you working on the website. It's very in-depth, and I know that uh, every little bit helps. And there's a lot of time and effort is spent. I don't think people realize how much time and effort is spent researching you know, just tiny little things like what was the first name of this player? It's you know, it's a J Smith. What was the J stand for? You know, to having to look through things like that. So yep. it's uh takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, and anytime somebody goes to patreon.com forward slash RL project, it helps in those efforts. Absolutely. And while we're on the case, where would someone go if they want to support one of the longest serving independent rugby league content creators that's known to the internet? They would go to patreon.com slash league freak, no space, because that's my Patreon. Um, there's uh, there's a few different tiers in there. You start off with three bucks a month. That's like a it's three US dollars a month, but it's like the cost of a cup of coffee. And then if you want to go to the higher tiers, the last three tiers you get, you can either pick, you can get a after three months of being signed up, you get a, either a free mug a free T-shirt or a free sticker. You can choose which one you want, or you can just, you know, go on the lower tiers and, and just support the website. But I wanted to make sure there was some sort of way that you could go at a higher level and get yourself a bit of merch. Um, Patreon sorts all that out, so that's pretty handy. But, yeah, that's uh, that all goes towards the website hosting costs, um, the the different uh, website addresses I've bought. I actually had two of them built to me today. I had uh, 
what were the ones I had? <laughs> Where did the, the other 17,000 line up? <laughs> I know, right? I had, <laughs> let me see. On my, I had International RL. That was one of them. And I think the other one was um, RL World Nines was the other one that, that ticked out today. And, uh, yeah, rlworldnines.com and internationalrl.com. So, and it, it, I know that over the next few days, there's going to be about seven others. It's not even, it's not even joking. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, fuck, I own madquackers.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is lovely. Yeah. Uh, and stay tuned on that one. Yeah, yeah, we're, get, we're doing some stuff. Yeah, when when we get bored in the off season, that thing's gonna get flogged. <laughs> yeah. Also, madquackers dot com. Mm. Yes. Well done. And I suppose on that note, mm-hmm. thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod, on Instagram at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. Um, I've also got our own website, FergoOnTheFreak dot com. You can go over there, and you, as Freaky said earlier, you can drop us an email via the comment section there. Yeah, contact. Contact Contact, section. there you go. That's the one. Um, make sure you subscribe to us on your, your listening devices there for your for your podcasts. Um, also, we'd love it if you subscribe to our YouTube page and liked all the videos there. That'd be brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, please give us a five-star rating and a, uh, a good review because we'll read that on the podcast. We'll even put it up on the website. And retweet uh, the shit out of stuff when we, when there's because it all goes up automatically if you're on Twitter. If you see the th- if you see the uh, the episode go up, just retweet the fuck out of it. Exactly, that'd be fantastic. And on that note, thanks for tuning in, everyone. We will catch you next time. <laughs>